Georgia's 2022 election has a flashback kind of feel to it, with Brian Kemp facing Stacey Abrams in a governor's rematch, and Georgia Bulldogs icon Herschel Walker running for U.S. Senate. Not running for the Bulldogs, but running for the Senate. Anyway, so sticking with the retro theme, we mark the return of Donnie Bell, a political science and homeland security lecturer at Savannah State. He's our guest on this edition of The Commute. Good day, Savannah, from all of us here at savannahnow.com. This is the Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. I am your host, Adam Van Bremer, opinion columnist and a deputy editor at the Savannah Morning News. This episode has been a long time a coming. The professor, Donnie Bell, is back. Donnie was one of our regular guests in the Commute's early days, weighing in on two popular topics here in Georgia, politics and college football. We'll focus on politics in his return today. But first, a word about our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. When it comes to office design and outfitting, National Office Systems has been Savannah's trusted source since the 1980s. They offer more than 200 product lines, including a new collaboration from two of the office furniture industry's leaders, Herman Miller and Knoll, now known as Miller Knoll. If your office needs a refresh, National Office Systems can help. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the interview with Savannah State's Donnie Bell. It's been a while, and it's good to be back with Donnie Bell, who's a lecturer at Savannah State, and he works in the, he teaches, he's a lecturer in the Homeland Security program, but he also has a political science background, and most people will remember we go back a couple of years, he helped us preview some past elections, and here we are as we get ready for Labor Day, which is, I guess, kind of the unofficial start of this election cycle. I think the absentee ballot application period opened in late August, and we'll really start to see candidates on the trail and everything else here shortly. But I mentioned earlier that, that he does do some work with Homeland Security, and I want to go ahead and, and talk about that real quick. Uh, Donnie, I know this is a program that it's the only one in the state, right? So this, this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, we are the uh, only HBCU with that offers a Homeland Security Emergency Management uh, Program degree. So we are unique. Um, we, before COVID, were one of the fastest growing programs uh, on campus. Um, our enrollment has not dropped, but it, it's kind of leveled off. Um, yeah, it bounced back, yeah. Yeah, and we expect now that we're able to go back into the community that we do uh, expect an increase in numbers. Um, we'll be able to get out to local meetings, high schools, um, and, and just be able to make those community connections um, mm-hmm. with law enforcement officers, uh, military, um, traditional students, you know, coming out, coming to us from, from local high schools, and, and just all those non-traditional students that are interested in uh, a degree in Homeland Security Emergency Management, which really opens up a lot of doors with government jobs at the local, state, and federal levels. Um, and they're all hiring, right? They're yeah. All hiring. They're all hiring. They're all, uh, you know, uh, government agencies, organizations are on our campus all the time. It's so glad, you know, we're, we're so glad to have them back. Uh, mm-hmm. We're excited for our students, um, and, and we are opening doors over here. Um, and our graduates are doing great things, and, and it's just great to be on here to, to broadcast a little bit about our program um, and, and just to kind of reintroduce ourselves to the community. So I'm, I'm glad to be back with you, Adam. I want to go off on a tangent, but it's a related tangent. COVID, the pandemic, 
obviously, I think public health now more than any other time is part of Homeland Security, right? Have you guys had to kind of adjust your curriculum to account for that? Sure. So we've had, you know, um, in, in the last few years, we've We've been virtual. We've been uh, hybrid where we're in person and a little bit of virtual. But um, what we tell our students right now is, is every line of work, we are managing emergencies. So mm -hmm. everything is emergency management. And obviously, it's a security risk um, and at all levels of government within the private and public sector uh, for Homeland Security. We're all going to, to try to keep the public safe, to keep our, our workers safe, first responders, law enforcement, government workers, um, just everyone. Uh, the, the key word we talk about all the time is mitigation, that, that we lessen the impact of the disaster. Um, and, and we can, you know, we can talk about all the steps that we can take and that we should continue to take uh, to, to mitigate the effects of COVID. Um, but what I can tell you at Savannah State is that we are uh, – here we are open for business and uh, we're, we're back to campus and we are uh, just started the semester with a you know, great group of students, um, new students, returning students. So um, there's a lot of enthusiasm on campus and it's just great to be back. Constant evolution in what you're teaching for sure. That's a, that's a sign of a, a good program and a good studies. No offense to the humanities out there, but uh, you know, a little pragmatic <laughs> line of work is, is good for that kind of thing. So Let's talk politics. Um, I think that this election, at least the primary, was marked by uh, the effect of President Trump. Here in Georgia, we saw, I would, I would call it, I have called it a repudiation of Trump with the way that Kemp performed, the way that Raffensperger performed, the way some others have performed. As we look ahead to the fall, do you anticipate that whole idea of the, quote, Trump effect, unquote, playing a role in this election? And if so, is it mostly related to turnout and support for maybe candidates like Kemp and Raffensperger who snubbed Trump? So on a uh, national level, um, Trump is, uh, especially within the Re Republican Party, um, he has a, a huge amount of influence. Now, uh, party ID remains the central determinant of voting behavior. Um, but I, I remind our students, I, I teach a little bit in the uh, political science program as well, that all of our elections in the United States, they are, they're candidate-centered elections. Mm -hmm. So personality separate, uh, separates candidates many times. Um, you know, even within the Democratic Party, uh, you have people with similar issues, um, but their story, their personalities, the uh, emotion that they, um, that they captivate their audiences with, that, that's going to determine by and large, how successful candidates are. Um, so with Trump, it, he's, he's, it's very interesting. Um, at no time in history has a, has a president who lost an election remained such an integral mm -hmm. figure within the party. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a particularly close election in 2020. The popular vote, there was about a 7 million vote uh, difference. Um, and the, uh, Electoral College, where it matters, uh, 303 to 235 in favor of Biden. Um, Biden won the largest percentage of the popular vote of any challenger uh, since 1932. Trump left when he left office. Democrats, you know, controlled both uh, houses in Congress. Um, what Trump did do uh, with the Supreme Court, and we're seeing the effects of that, he, he was able to instill a very conservative majority um, in the nation's highest court. And I think that's something we'll talk about the effects of that here in a little bit. 
but Trump is a huge force. Um, the success rate of his do- uh, endorsements in, in these primaries ha- has been uh, upwards of 80%. Mm-hmm. So Trump's endorsement means a lot um, within the Republican Party. Um, as you mentioned, at the state level in Georgia, which, you know, we have to acknowledge it, it's a, you know, it's a toss-up state. It's a swing state now. It's very close. The margins are very, you know, so it's not political science. It's not surprising that you could have, um, you know, some crossover voting and that you could have um, maybe Senator Warnock be successful while um, someone on the other side, you know, Republican Governor uh, Brian Kemp, um, you know, to, to kind of win re-election either. Yeah, you mentioned the power of personality, and certainly the top four people at the top of the ticket all have a ton of personality, right? Herschel Walker, of course, is an icon. Uh, Raphael Warnock has, I, I always felt like he was big in Atlanta and not big the rest of the state, but I think that certainly has changed the last two years. And then, of course, Abrams and Kemp, going back to 2018, just they are uh, instantly recognizable. Sure. So in, in 2018, um, you know, Kemp won a narrow election. Um, against Stacey Abrams. The vote share was like, uh, I think he won 50.2%. She won 48.8%. So, um, you know, with almost 4 million votes cast, I think he won by about 54,000. Yeah. Um, you know, that 2018 uh, gubernatorial election is a historic election. It was the closest um, race for governor in Georgia since 1966. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just some history there that interesting thing in 1966, uh, a segregationist uh, from the Democratic Party, uh, Lester Maddox, oh, yeah. won, that, won that election. Um, if you look back to 1966, there was a, a you know, somewhat well-known fellow by the name of Jimmy Carter who lost mm-hmm. that primary. So mm-hmm. as we look back at our Georgia history, um, 1966, not that that long ago, um, but, but we elected a segregationist as um, governor, um, you know, in the 60s. So it is important to remember how, you know, the history of our, our state uh, impacts present day politics. Right. You mentioned the closeness of that 2018 race. It's also interesting that in that race, Kemp and Abrams were the top two vote getters in the history of, of Georgia governor race. So turnout was a huge deal. Of course, in 2020, we saw the Democrats really turn out um, with, with Trump on the ballot. There's been talk that maybe Abrams is going to struggle to get the same people out that she did in 2020 and 2018. Do you do you buy that? Do you buy that reasoning? Sure. So, you know, in 2018, um, you know, just to tell the the, the, the story to, to kind of recount what happened, um, it was a, a very close election. Um, Clint, uh, Governor Kemp, then Secretary of State Kemp, uh, declared victory um, on like November 7th resigned from his post of Secretary of State the next day. Um, the district judge ruled that Gwinnett County, we had some you know funny stuff with the absentee balance. So almost a week went by um, until uh, Stacey Abrams conceded. Um, she suspended her campaign. She accepted, you know, mm-hmm. Kemp as the legal winner. Um, but she she really didn't acknowledge that it was a legitimate um, a legitimate, legitimate election, election right. which, which is, you know, um, noteworthy. Um, she had issues with the elections, uh, with, with the election results, but she did respect the rule of law, um, our democratic principles. There was not um, any violence at the, the, the Capitol in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, you know, there, there's a 
many different techniques to kind of cast doubt over um, election results. Um, so, so that, you know, in 2018, that did happen even at the state level here. Um, but there is a clear difference in, in kind of how she approached it and then how, how uh, former President Trump did in 2020. 2020, Abrams was not on the ticket, but was incredibly active. How much did she, how much did what she did between losing in 2018 and, and, and now kind of up her profile or at least keep her where she was on November the, whatever the date of the election was, November 6, 2018? So in, in my estimation, personally, um, it, it kept her relevant. It, it has mm-hmm. propelled her. It's kept her, her name recognition is probably even greater um, for her party and for um, her impact in American politics, I, I would say without her work um, at the state level, um, the Republicans would control the U.S. Senate right now. I, I think right. what she did was, was um, just extremely uh, vital to the success that Democrats had. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, a- asking my opinion about turnout this election with, with there's, you know, there's there's no, you know, Trump plays a, a role kind of in the Republican Party right now. Um, I, I think there was a lot of turnout in 2018 um, because he was in the White House. He's no longer mm-hmm. there. And then again, in my estimation, I would think that that would hurt the Democrats' chances that um, I, I would not, um, you know, looking at the polls, um, it, it's still a, a close, you know, it looks to be a close election, but but I, I think the prohibitive favorite would be uh, Brian Kim. Pardon the interruption here. We'll talk more about the election in just a moment. In the interim, though, I need to encourage you to sign up for the Savannah Now's Prep Central newsletter. The high school football season opened in bewildering style recently. Did you see the video of the chaos at the BC Jenkins game? That was crazy. To keep up with the latest news and notes and, you know, evacuations of games before halftime, you need to be on the email list for sports writer Dennis Knight's weekly high school sports newsletter. He covers more than football in that newsletter. Volleyball, softball, cross country, all the prep sports. To get your fix, go to savannahnow.com slash newsletters and sign up. The newsletter will go to your email inbox. And you don't have to subscribe to Savannah Morning News or savannahnow.com to get the newsletters, so there are no excuses. Now, more election talk with Savannah State's Donnie. I want to come back and talk about Kemp in a minute, but let's go ahead and touch on some of the social issues and what kind of impact they're going to have on the Democratic turnout. Of course, we've seen the the overturning of, of Roe versus Wade. Uh, we've seen the Supreme Court do some things around gun rights. We've seen them do things around the EPA. We've seen the Georgia legislature do things around abortion, constitutional carry, voting reforms. There's a lot of, of red meat, <laughs> no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, uh, that is going to work there that that may or may not inspire Democratic turnout. How how big a role does that play? And, and what do the Democrats need to do to really kind of uh, bang that drum between now and November the, I think it's the 8th? Yes. So if I was a strategist within the Democratic Party, um, I would say to uh, broadcast and go after those, we call them contentious issues, mm-hmm. right? That, that people can't discuss them without getting um, very emotional. And, and generally we're talking about gun rights, um, women's rights, abortion rights, um, those things that you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table. Um, but when we look at, you know, um, Kansas, you know, earlier this month, right. um, the uh, 
campaign. And a referendum. Referendum on abortion, right? Referendum vote to uh, preserve the abortion rights protection in the Constitution. That vote in Kansas, Mm -hmm. um, 60 to, you know, 60-40, that's a really big split. Um, You know, we're talking about um, a, a strong majority there. Um, and Kansas is not a purple state, right? Kansas is a red, red state, very strong conservative, um, state. The last time that Kansas voted for a Democrat was 1964, uh, with LBJ. Um, now that the parties have realigned since then. So, you know, the last time that they supported a liberal candidate for president, um, you know, well before that, um, if ever. So, um, it is noteworthy. Um, it, it, again, if I was a strateg- Democratic strategist in Georgia, um, I, I would not see these contentious issues. Um, I, I think in the 90s and in the 2000s, um, Democrats at, at the state level and, you know, even the, the national level um, tended to kind of see these contentious issues. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton, even in 2016, you know, did, did she discuss abortion rights and a woman's right to choose? I mean, she was unique in that, you know, she was the, the first major um, presidential candidate that, that would seem to have the upper hand in that. Okay. Right. That, um, but again, someone who followed that, um, you know, her and Trump pretty closely that uh, she, she failed to really capitalize and, and hit him on an issue where she should have had the upper hand. Um, but when we look back um you know, that there's a period in time where um, the Democrats were uh, kind of afraid to take on these contentious issues, um, with the exceptions of, you know, there was eight years of Clinton. You know, he was, a, again, that's a single uh, candidate that is a personality-driven candidate-centered election. That's a single individual. Right. Um, he was, a you know, termed a different kind of Democrat. And then Along came Barack Obama in 2008, again, a different kind of, a different kind of Democrat. And while we look at their stories and their background and we say that, you know, whatever that means, you know, different, uh, different kind of Democrat, what I would point to is how they were on the attack and how they, they, they didn't see these contentious issues to the Republicans. So, again, um, what will oh. Democrats do in Georgia? Will they, will they, you know, discuss gun rights? Will they talk about abortion rights? Um, because... <laughs> can tell you if they cede those issues to the Republicans and the Republicans will enjoy a lot of success uh, during elections. Yeah, I certainly think that Abrams is really going to turn up the volume uh, on that side of, of things. And obviously she's the, she's the standard bearer. Let's talk about Kemp. Uh, he has, Kemp is just from a, a journalistic standpoint, Kemp impresses the heck out of me because he has somehow managed to navigate to alienate the most popular person in the Republican party. He has strengthened a state economically through a pandemic and he has still managed to pass a lot of the, the issues, a lot of, you know, get legislation through that really appeals to his base. You called him a favorite earlier is, I mean, is it economy? Is it the whole package? What, what makes Kemp so attractive? Yeah. So, so there are aspects, you know, um, and, and I've seen the, the political ads uh, celebrating, you know, Georgia being the, the first to open um, and the economic success of the, the last few years. Now it, it is, you know, fact checkers point out Democrats should, should be careful uh, and they would be, uh, it would be um, 
not smart of them if they didn't remind that a lot of Kemp's budget and money he's been able to give out for raises and other stuff came from where? The federal government. Yeah, it came um, from the CARES Act. Yeah. So, so Democrats need to, again, if they let him run with that, um, that's on them. But, mm-hmm. but Kemp, you know, as you said, um, his, his legislative victories, um, and again, when you can point to Georgia being the first to do this and mm-hmm. uh, sending a check, sending you checks. Tax refund checks. Those, those things are, you know, those are tangible things that voters see. Right. Um, you know, when we, and we'll talk about, you know, this uh, national nail politician in a little bit, but I, I think, you know, I would describe, you know, Ron DeSantis as someone who tries to, and this is what him, he and Kim, I think, have in common. They try to distinguish themselves from Trump while still appealing to his base. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they might not, you know, in, in Kemp, to his credit, stood up. You know, he would not overturn the uh, election in 2020. But again, they, they're not going to, they would never denounce Trump. Um, they're, they want the, the support of his base. Um, but, but they really, they're, they're very strategic politicians and they're able to walk the line. Where they don't, they yeah. don't alienate Trump's base. Yeah. OK. And then they're still, you know, appealing to, you know, moderate Republicans, if that is a thing in Georgia. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the Senate race. Uh, this one is fascinating to me just because Herschel Walker obviously is an, an unorthodox candidate, a unpolished candidate. Um, if he wins, it will probably be because of turnout and his celebrity. For him, is it just a matter of, of trying not to make any I guess it's all relative, right? Try not to make any egregious errors between now and November the 8th to stay competitive. So I, I think with, with Walker's, um, his campaign strategy, if you will, um, he, he is going to, uh, he's not going to be careful. Um, I, I don't think that making egregious errors is a, you know, that would, a careful strategy is not going to get him elected, but he is, mm-hmm. um, Again, in a candidate Senate election based on personality, his personality is going to, you know, not mirror Trump, but yeah. but is going to have, you know, many similarities. The it's people, pretty similar to 2015, for sure. Yeah, 2016. Sure. You know, especially and again, and people don't understand this, but but Trump did move a little bit back to the center once he got through the Republican primary, because early on there, if you were to look at, you know, and you said 2015, what, what Trump was saying and how he carried himself. Um, and then what, you know, Mr. Walker is doing now, I, I think that's where the playbook is. So I, I don't think he's, you know, treading lightly. Um, I, I think his personality is what it is. I, I think turnout, um, will obviously, you know, determine the race. Um, but when you look at poll numbers and you see that Kemp is in the lead, but then Warnock is in the lead, um, that is evidence that there is something else there. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, in politics, the, um, in, in, in contested elections, the parties are going to spend the time, the resources, and millions and millions of dollars uh, to do everything they can to, to hammer those margins, the 1%, 2%, okay? Because, you know, people say, well, 98% of this, they're, they're going after those margins, right? People say all the time, well, who doesn't know who they're going to vote for? And yeah, they're a Republican, they're a de- Democrat, there's no true independence. That's by and large true. The vast majority of people already know. But we're not talking about 10% or 15%. 
in Georgia, those margins uh, in this race are going to come down to two or three percent. So you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, three percent of registered voters, um, you know, is really going to be the difference in, in who wins these statewide elections. People can poll whatever they want, but when they actually get into the booth, a lot of times they return to their tribe. Right. If you you tend to vote Republican, you're going to vote for them, especially if it, it very well looks like control of the Senate could be on the line. Maybe not, but that certainly will be a, a topic that will be harped on ahead of November 8th. I think research shows, you know, if it's competitive race, does it draw more people in? Are you more likely to vote? Um, that, that's debatable. Um, but I will say, you know, once you get into that booth, remember that the, the biggest determinant is always going to be party ID. So that D or that R is the number one thing. Uh, there's got to be something really special, um, really of note to, to, to make you change. Um, and again, in, in Georgia, when it comes down to, you know, uh, people, some Republicans in, in 2020, well, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't support Trump. Um, uh, you know, a, a vote, um, you know, not for Trump um, was, you know, essentially a vote for Trump. So it, it was, you know, um, it, it was that close. It, it is that important um, that the margins are, are really that thin in the state of Georgia this year. Yeah, 11,000 votes in 2020. So let's talk about another race that doesn't look that close poll wise, but may surprise us. And that's the U.S. House race in the first district. Buddy Carter, clearly the favorite in a, in a red district, a district that is drawn to his advantage. Uh, Wade Herring obviously is is a uh, somebody who hadn't run before, political newcomer, had some excitement early on. I'm not sure how much he's got now, or not. I'm not seeing a whole lot of Wade Herring marketing and advertising. Maybe that's really going to ramp up here after Labor Day. But do you see Wade Herring being able to push? You know, beyond that, I said, what have they been getting in that race? 42, 44 percent. Can he get up to 46, 47, 48 percent? Yeah, I, I think um, it's an uphill battle, very unlikely. But uh, again, this would, if there was a push coming, this would be the push. And again, um, as stuff unfolds, um, that, the, you know, Congressman Carter has a ton of name recognition. Um, he, you know, he's been on the job. He has the experience. Um, he has aligned himself solidly with Trump. He has, you know, he has Trump's endorsement. Um, that That's really important. Um, but you know, my the, the big caveat here would be if, you know, uh, nationally, if something happened, um, you know, maybe with Trump, um, mm -hmm. I, I don't see uh, potential Carter voters um, voting, you know, for the other for the challenger. Um, right. But maybe they stay home. Maybe they don't vote in that race. Mm -hmm. um, so, again, it's really an uphill battle, um, you know, from the Democratic side. You, you've got to. You've got to really hope for turnout, and and you know, um, your 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 one hope is that, that something big happens. Um, you know, whether it be a you know a major push for um, women's rights, abortion, um, or, or something with former President Trump um, between now and voting day. Yeah, maybe Herring's plan for twenty twenty four: get his name recognition, get his brand out there, and and look ahead to two years from now to challenge to challenge Representative Carter. So. You mentioned Abrams earlier and social issues. So here's the rub on that. Obviously, even if she's elected governor, the odds are overwhelming odds that your Georgia General Assembly is going to stay in Republican control. So when we look at some of the races here, 
Uh, of course, the state house and the state senate is it's it's gerrymandered. Let's call it the way it is. But there's I think four or five contested races. Do you do you foresee anything? It is I guess Ron Stevens is usually the one they say. Well, his district is more democratic. Is he in trouble? When you look at the state house, and not just Savannah, but more broadly, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So so the first thing with those those uh, local elect, you know, they're 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 state statewide elections, but we, we know them locally, the, those candidates, um, it, it's really hard to get good polling and numbers on those. Right. So uh, uh, unless it's someone, uh, again, with giant name recognition that comes in as a challenger, um, those offices tend to hold, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, more than like 85% of the time. So mm-hmm. again, is there a chance that, that something happens and something changes within, you know, our, our state legislator? There is, um, but again, we're, we're talking about major things. Generally, you know, for, for that to happen, it takes um, an untimely death or a retirement or a, a large scandal, um, and, and then kind of a weaker candidate runs and the challenger has some success. So um, I'm not aware of anything. Um, yeah. I don't foresee that happening. So I, I would expect those uh, to hold without uh, singling out a single race. Yeah, I, th- I think in 2020, between the two chambers, which is 180, 100, it's, it's 200, about 250 representatives, I think less than 20 actually flipped. So it's probably going to be the, the same way again. But uh, when you look at the ballot, I mean, I guess T-Sploss is on the ballot. I don't know if you want to go down that path or not. But um, when you look at some of these down ballot races that a lot of people will just they'll look for the R or the D next to them and check them. Do you see do you see anything that really interests you? No, and um, I think one thing that you will see, um, you know, you mentioned some some local sales tax options and things like that, is is that's where you see the the interesting aspect of uh, money in politics, where um, many people are unaware of you know exactly you know what they're they're voting on with those. Um, so generally, um, when, when there's a push by either a party or an interest group or something that comes in, um, that, that can really have a major effect of that. Um, yeah. You know, uh, unless there's a major project that, is, that has benefited your community, that you see something, you know, th- there you could have, you know, one of the small government Republicans, um, you know, a voter that uh, would maybe support an ad- additional uh, tax increase of, of a penny or whatever. Yeah. yeah, we both live on the island, so I know we both long for the day when there's a flyover over the President Street Railroad tax. Whether I want to impose another one cent pay- sales tax on myself, I'm not sure. But yeah, like you said, it, it's certainly there's some uh, if, if the project is right, it can motivate voters. And we'll see. I know the Chamber of Commerce is going to get behind it. And when they've gotten behind Splost and East Splost in the past, they've passed. So T Splost, of course, fa- uh, failed in 2012, 10 years ago. And we'll see, we'll see how it, it does this, this election cycle. But Donnie, thanks so much for your time. And it's great to have you, great to have you back. I know that you're excited for football season. Maybe we get midway through the football season. We'll do a politics and a, and a Georgia football talk as it looks like it's a three-way race in college football uh, between Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama. But we'll see. That's a conversation for another day. Thanks so much for taking the time. All right. Thanks, Adam. That's all for this edition of the Commute Podcast. Thank you one last time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new Commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. 
whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. Recently, I interviewed Savannah Public Schools Superintendent Ann Lavette. To hear that and more, search The Commute with that Savannah opinion on your favorite podcast app. The Commute returns soon. We look forward to talking to you then. Mm-hmm.